Do you know the Old Testament Bible account of the first Passover which began in Egypt? This is the subject of today's study talk in our series called Christ in the Old Testament. Now this is Search for Truth, your 15-minute program of Bible study and hymn singing. Your Bible teacher Brian Johnston has researched these talks which are based on the conversation that Jesus may have had with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So, let's hear Brian now and Christ our Passover. Thanks, John. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. In other words, the annual celebration of the exodus of God's people Israel, when God delivered them by the hand of Moses from slavery in Egypt, was always intended to serve as a picture of the greater deliverance won at the cross through the death of Christ. We may recall that every year, at Passover time, the Old Testament Israelites were to reenact their great escape by killing a lamb, one lamb for every household. This celebrated the fact that they'd left Egypt after the tenth and last plague brought on Pharaoh's people by God. And that plague had involved the death of every firstborn of cattle, as well as among the human families throughout the land of Egypt. The Israelite families didn't suffer the same loss when they followed God's instruction that each family should sacrifice a lamb and shelter behind its blood when painted on their doorways overnight. When God's destroying angel went through the land of Egypt at midnight and all the false gods of Egypt were judged, as well as each firstborn dying, it was then that the Lord passed over every house with the blood of the lamb on its doorframe, so as to prevent the destroying angel from entering. The judgment passed over them without touching them. God had promised that would happen when he saw the blood. What a striking statement that is. The very sight of the blood arrested the destruction that would otherwise have befallen that family. The thrust of the Bible in its overall message would lead us to conclude that God, even at that time, was looking ahead to the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. That is the most arresting sight in all of history and of God's dealings with the human race. This is the outstanding instance of what's biblically called a type anywhere found in the Bible. The Exodus story would come to provide symbolic language for the later Babylonian exile of God's people, as well as anticipating our spiritual redemption. As the Israelites were redeemed or bought out of slavery in Egypt at the time of Moses, so we were bought back to God out of sin slavery through Christ's death for us at the cross. It would repay us to familiarise ourselves again with the basic storyline of what actually happened roughly around 1500 BC. The baby Moses was born to Israelite slaves in the land of Egypt, ruled then by the mighty Pharaoh. In a policy to reduce their numbers, all such male slave babies were under a death sentence. Moses was hidden by his mother down by the edge of the river Nile and in the providence of God, was discovered by an Egyptian princess who took pity on the child. In fact, 
as some have speculated, it's not impossible that she interpreted this find as a gift from the so-called Nile God. Whatever the case, as Moses grew up, he was raised in the court of Pharaoh and had access to all the learning of the Egyptians. He was trained, in effect, in the best university of the greatest empire of the world of that day. Since he'd become the adopted son of the king's daughter, every privilege must have been his. But his Egyptian mother had employed as a nursemaid the child's own birth mother. Her influence too wouldn't have been lost on our child Moses in his formative years. Then when he came of age, the realisation must have dawned on him that he was intended to be the deliverer of Israel, his people by birth. So he went out and ended up murdering an Egyptian and having to flee into the wilderness. He'd alienated the palace, but still his own people were not ready to entrust themselves to him. Moses abandoned the land of Egypt and herded sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. Here it was that God found him and dealt with him in the remarkable confrontation of the burning bush. God called him back to the task he'd earlier set for himself, one for which he was completely unprepared until he learned that God himself is all that it takes to do anything in his name. After God had called Moses and sent him back to Egypt, he went down there and immediately came into conflict with Pharaoh. Nothing is more dramatic in all of the Old Testament than this tremendous conflict of wills between Pharaoh and Moses. God displayed his awesome power against Pharaoh, but the stubbornness of the human heart in rebellion against God is equally on display. On a total of nine occasions, we read of how God would send some dreadful plague throughout the land of Egypt before we once again end up reading that Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let his people go. Pharaoh only consents to let Israel go after the death of his firstborn, the last plague. The Passover is a picture of the cross of Christ. Each family selected a lamb and checked that it was a spotless specimen. At the set time, they killed the lamb and painted some of its blood on the door frames of their homes before sheltering behind it throughout the night when God's fearful judgment passed through the land of Egypt. Only those trusting God's word and having applied the blood were spared the judgment that befell the land of Egypt and that would lead to the expulsion of the Jewish slaves. In the homes, covered by the blood of the lamb, the firstborn son remained alive. This is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote our opening words to the Corinthians. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. All perished at that time, but those Israelites who by faith, and simply by faith, took the blood of a lamb and sprinkled it on the doorposts and lintels of their houses. They were then perfectly safe within the house. This pictures for us the simple act of faith by which we rest on the fact that Jesus Christ's death has settled the issue of our guilt before a holy God. The second death, or the eternal death, passes over or away from us. Judgment for our sins will never come our way 
because we have made application of the blood of the Lamb of God in a deeply personal way. It's worth noting that, of course, not every aspect of Christ's death was pictured in the Passover ritual, and that's the case with any type. Only certain aspects are anticipated of what will later be fulfilled in God's plan. There was no explicit thought of the forgiveness of sins in the events of the Passover, but it majored on the biblical idea of redemption, especially the redemption of the firstborn sons. From that time, God said every firstborn was to be dedicated to him. They were to belong to the Lord. Whenever, among the Israelites, a woman, or indeed any animal, gave birth to a first male offspring, it was to be devoted to the Lord. Every firstborn male among the people of Israel was to be redeemed. This is what God said in Exodus 13, 14. With a powerful hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And it came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord put to death every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from human firstborns to animal firstborns. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, every firstborn of a womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. Passover, then, was a picture, as we say, of redemption. Born-again Christians are precisely those who have been redeemed today, as we read in Colossians chapter 1. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. But you'll notice something else there. There's mention of the domain of darkness. In a sense, the land of Egypt, back in Moses' time, pictured that also. For it says in Exodus 12, verse 12, God said, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the human firstborn to animals, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. The judgment on Egypt at the time of the Passover was not only against the firstborn of Egypt, but against their gods. It's quite possible earlier plagues had a relevance to false Egyptian beliefs in various gods, for they worshipped not only the Nile god, but they worshipped the sun too. Their goddess of fertility was also depicted as a frog, and of course another of the plagues involved frogs. But the final plague was a judgment against all the gods of Egypt. If God's power was demonstrated against Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt in the last plague, and it was, then this too is an aspect of things that anticipated something far greater that would take place at the cross of Christ. For it was when Jesus died that the Bible tells us the God of this age, the ruler of this age, was cast out. That is, Satan and those on his side were judged and made powerless at the cross of Christ. And so, as we read earlier, we who believe were rescued from the domain of darkness. As a result of the main thought of redemption, and also the defeat of the powers of darkness, not to mention the Passover references in the New Testament, I feel confident that our Lord would most likely have made telling reference to the Passover when speaking to his disciples and have related it to himself as the Lamb of God. Sadly, we've no time to say any more than mention 
that the timing of our Lord's death precisely coincided with the observance timing of the annual Passover. God's ways are truly perfect. As usual, I remind you that there's a very helpful transcript book available of all 12 study talks in this series. If you obtain one, you'll be able to pursue further personal study and get more out of these radio talks. The book is available online and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can request a hard copy book by asking for the title Christ in the Old Testament. Don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. And you can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Now, email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Unfortunately, we must go now, for our time is up. So, I hope you enjoyed today's study, and many thanks for the pleasure of your company. Do join us next week for another talk in this series on Christ in the Old Testament. This time, it's called The Bread from Heaven, from John chapter 6 and verse 51. So until next time, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Yeah.